Please turn your Bible to Luke chapter 11. We're in a series. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, You've caught us partway through the Gospel of Luke. It's going to take us a while to get to the end, but we're in Luke chapter 11. And the text today will be Luke eleven fourteen through 28. If you don't have a Bible, um, feel free to use one of the Bibles that's in the back of a chair in the row in front of you. There should be at least one in every row. Um, and if you're using one of those Bibles, uh, the text for today is on page 869. And then partway through, you'll turn over to page 870. So it'll be Luke eleven fourteen to 28. And then once you have your spot there, um, use your finger or a piece of paper or a marker or a pen or something uh, to hold that spot for a minute and then turn back to Isaiah 53. That's where our Old Testament reading will be from. It'll be Isaiah 53 verses 10 through 12. And if you're using one of the Bibles from the back of a chair, that will be page 614. So if you're using the chair Bible, 614 and 869, If you're not using a chair Bible, those numbers are not helpful at all. (laughs) Um, So we use Isaiah 53, 10 through 12, and then Luke 11, 14 to 28, and Walt Grumpt will come to read the scripture for us this morning. Isaiah 53, 10 to 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Luke eleven fourteen to 28. Now as he was casting out a demon that was mute, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided kingdom falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, 
he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is a womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that reveals to us your Son, and that reveals to us that your kingdom has come and will come. And so we ask that even as we sit under your word now, that you'd help us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And would you help us to play the part that you would have us to play while seeing that Jesus is the one who is Lord over all. So would you do that good work in us? Would you use these moments to change us by your power that raised Jesus from the dead into the people that you want us to be for your glory while we live this one short life on this earth? So would you help us now? In Jesus' name, amen. Pat's or Gino's? Okay, see you guys are exactly right. And that's what I tell people, because who's the kind of person who asks that question? Someone who's not from around here, right? This is like one of the things we can all agree on, right? We may have different teams we like, we may have different hobbies we like, but we can all agree that that's a stupid question, right? It's a question only someone not from around here who's been reading like media hype would ask. And we have people ask that when they come to visit, and they're like, Pastor Gino's, and it's like, that's, you're not even like close, right? There's, I mean, I understand they're across the street from each other and everything, but there's like, you know, is it Jim's, Tony Luke's, and even that, it's like, okay, we've got all those. So for most of us, it's whatever's on the corner. <laughs> That's what we do, right? So from here, where's the best cheesesteak in Philadelphia? It's at Salvito's. You know why? Because I can walk there from here. <laughs> and it's good. So if you want, may I, may I, well, I did that early enough in the sermon, right? We're okay. They're open on Sundays. So unlike the other place that I advertise regularly. (laughs) 
So we know that is, like in logic, they call that a false dichotomy. All right? Pats or Genos is not a good question because there's way more than Pats or Genos available. Okay? And even ones that are, dare we say it, better. Right? But that's an example of the either-or fallacy. It's like, wait, you, know, you guys immediately are like, neither one. Give me C, D, E, or maybe even F before one of those two. It's also known as the fallacy of the excluded middle. You've left, you've left something out that's an option. And you might even find examples saying, like, you can either be for God or against God and say, well, there's a whole category of people who don't like feel one way or the other about God. But Jesus would say, no, sure, Pats or Genos, that's fine, but you're either for me or against me, right? We saw that in what Walt read to us in verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. The big idea from this text this morning is that we must side with Jesus and his kingdom. This is about the kingdom of God. Jesus said to them, if what I do in casting out demons isn't from the devil, but is by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And if the kingdom of God has come, there's, we have to do something about it. Everyone will respond one way or the other to the fact that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. And we must side with Jesus and his kingdom. We're either for or against. We're either in or out. We don't have the luxury of saying neither. We don't have the luxury of saying, I'll take option C. It's A or B. One or the other. In or out. And that sounds bad to our cultural ears. We want limitless choices. We want all the options. We want an alphabet of choices. But Jesus says, you're either with me or against me. You either gather with me or you scatter. And we see even in this text different responses to Jesus. That's up near the top of it. Now he's casting out a demon that was mute. In verse 14, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke. The people marveled. And that's a pretty regular response that we see from the people. They marvel. They're going, this is amazing. This is not normal behavior. This isn't usually how this works. I mean, even when he was teaching in the synagogues, right, he teaches as one who has authority and not like the scribes, not like the regular teachers. He's different. So here we have the people marveled, but then we see two other reactions right away. But some of them said, verse 15, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others to test him, so here's the third response, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So you have the people marveling, but then you have some of them saying he casts out demons by Beelzebub, Beelzebub, and then others 
seeking from him a sign from heaven. And in our text today, he deals with that first wrong response. Those who said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He responds to that in our text for today. And then next week, in verses 29 and following, he answers that second response of those who are seeking a sign. He says, you're only getting one sign. It's the sign of Jonah. So we'll be talking about the sign of Jonah next week and what that means, what Jesus meant by that, and what their right response would be. But for today, we want to see the first problematic response and then learn what Jesus wants us to learn from his answer and then respond how Jesus would want us to respond. So this week he answers those who said he was serving Satan and next week he's going to answer those who are seeking a sign. So that's what's going on. So in a way, this is kind of a one-point sermon today. Don't get your hopes up about it being short. (laughs) Sorry. But Jesus is stronger. That's what we want to see. We sang it earlier this morning. We want to see together that Jesus is stronger. It's plain that he's stronger than the demon because he casts it out and it's gone out of him. And the mute man speaks. The one who before couldn't talk now talks and everyone can see he is more powerful than that demon and of course he's already given his power like that to his disciples we've seen that in chapter 9 and chapter 10 as he sent out the 12 and then sent out the 72 and you remember the 72 come back like even the demons are subject to us and he says I saw Satan fall from heaven he says, I saw him fall from heaven And then he goes on to say, nevertheless, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you, (laughs) right? Rejoice that you belong to me. Rejoice that your names are in the book of life. That's something to be more excited about than any powers you can demonstrate over the demonic realm. But Jesus here demonstrates his power. He is stronger And what does it mean that Jesus is stronger? It's not just this generic, like, thing that my dad used to do when we were kids. He can't do it anymore because we're all bigger now. But especially, my brother had some trouble with reality when he was a kid. And so, you know, he's like four years old and it's like, I'm stronger than you. To my dad, who's like 6'4", you know, and at that point was in his mid-30s. And it's like, yeah, you know what? You're actually early 30s. He's like, you're not stronger than me. Yes, I am. And so he would like have him down, like, you know, my brother's on the floor, you know, like this. And it's like, who's stronger? Uh, me. You know, it's like, you'd pin him a little further. It's like, son, who's stronger? It's like, I am. It's like, who's stronger? And he'd finally be like, you. And then as soon as he would start to let him up, he'd use whatever force he had left, like wriggle out and see, I'm stronger. I tricked you. It's like, dude, dude. So that's a tradition that I've carried on with our son, I can still do it. I'm 40 now, he's 10. I probably only have like a year or two left. (laughs) All right, he's downstairs right now and he's probably not gonna watch this, so don't tell him. (laughs) Which now like 20 people are gonna tell him. So we've carried on the tradition, but my son is smarter than my brother. And so we still do it. And it's like, I have to use a little more body weight to, to hold him down now and it's like, who's stronger (laughs) it's like you are dad okay 
Jesus isn't stronger like that. I mean, he, would, he could be if he needed to be. But that is not the point, right? It's not just like, oh, look, I can keep you in a place. Oh, look, here's a fun game. Oh, look, you know, let's just run a test. Am I still a little faster than you? Am I still a little stronger than you? There's no contest. It's not close. There's nothing that's going to happen that's going to change the dynamics. So, like, my brother's stronger than my dad now. It's just kind of the way that things work, right? And my son will be stronger than I am sooner than I would like that to be the case. But it's real, and it's coming, and that's not what it's like for Jesus. His power doesn't weaken. It doesn't go away. It's not mainly physical. Here he's exercising spiritual power because the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. When we say that Jesus is stronger, one of the things we'd want to say is what Jesus has said right in this text. If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, it's like, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they'll be judges. So there are some apparently of some power to cast out demons, and the religious leaders aren't saying like, oh, look, they're, they're just doing it because of Satan. They're just trying to do anything they can to discredit Jesus. But then in verse 20, he says, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is here. And the fact that the kingdom of God is here in this text, in the person of Jesus, demands a response. The kingdom of God has come because the king has come. He's, he's here. He's at work. He's exercising his power. So he came in this time. And he tells us the kingdom of God has come upon you. And we also know that his, the king is coming again. And there's a way that we're still waiting even though the kingdom of God began with Jesus being here on the earth and through his life, death, and resurrection, and then the sending of the Spirit, that there's a way that the kingdom is already here. We are painfully and consistently aware that it's not here in its fullness yet. It's one of the reasons that we still pray, like we saw from last week in the first part of Luke 11, that we pray, your kingdom come. It's a recognition that he has come, It's a recognition that he is king even now, and it's a participation in his kingdom as it expands, as people come under his sway and trust in him and recognize him as their king. And it expands in our hearts as we increasingly come under his kingship and recognize him as our king in every area of our lives but it's still not complete. We're still waiting for him to come, but the king is coming again. And whether that coming again is good news for us or bad news for us depends on our response to the king now. The king who has already come. And shown us more than enough to know that we should turn to him. And we should trust in him. So the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. But what does that mean? What does it look like? It means that Jesus defeats and disarms the devil. And this becomes really, really good news for us. 
Because this isn't just about something that happened in the past and like, okay, but it's tough now. Jesus defeats and disarms the devil. After he says the kingdom of God has come upon you, look at verse 21. How does he describe the kingdom of God coming? He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So there's a strong man, fully armed. I've got all my armor. I've got a great fortress. No one can take me out. I'm secure. But then someone stronger comes. Right? It'd be kind of like, okay, I'm stronger than Bobby, but any number of you could be like, okay, Rob, <laughs> step aside. Right? You're strong. Sure, you're stronger than a 10 year old. Congratulations. I'm stronger than you. Which I would reply, you know, congratulations. <laughs> I hope you're very proud of yourself. When we're in the position where we're stronger, we feel secure. Everything's okay. Everything's going to be good. And these religious leaders feel that way, but I think this is mainly not talking about the religious leaders, but about Satan. You know, they've said, you're casting out demons by the prince of demons, and he says, no, I'm not. We're not on the same team. We're not a divided kingdom. We are kingdoms in conflict. We are kingdoms at war with one another. I'm not just kind of an insider undermining the devil's work. I am here to destroy the devil and his work. That is what Jesus came to do. It says every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. A divided household falls. But it's not like that. Satan's not divided against himself. He says, I am against him. The kingdom of God has come upon you. The strong man felt secure. Remember even back at Jesus' temptation. The devil, what does he do? He offers Jesus the kingdoms of this world. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. He says, it's, it's mine to grant. He feels pretty secure. This belongs to me. By then, I think he's already a little scared. He has an idea of who Jesus is and that he's against him. But he's offering the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus says, I don't, I don't need those from you. He's come to disarm the straw man. To defeat him. And as we saw in the reading from Isaiah 53, we're told that the servant who would suffer, who would die, would divide the spoil. And we have the same language here in Luke 11 when Jesus says he's going to go in the stronger one when he attacks him overcomes him he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil all the stuff that the devil thought was his it's not and there's a way in which we are part of that story if we're in Christ because by birth we were children of disobedience by birth, we were submitting to the prince of the power of the air. 
We were walking according to his ways, with him as our ruler. Even if we didn't think about things that way, even if we don't identify him as our ruler. There's only two kingdoms, remember. There's, there's no third one. There's no like, well, I'm in, I'm in the, the observer kingdom out here, and I'll, I'll look at both of them for a while and then maybe make a decision if I feel like it, but I can stay safely over here. No, he says, you're either in the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of God. Right? We're told that God, through Jesus, delivered us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Jesus defeats and disarms the devil, and he divides the spoil, and part of that spoil was us. That he takes it away with no questions asked, no talking back. It's mine. I'm the stronger one. He comes, he ties up the devil. He binds the devil. And says, I'm taking what's mine. I'm the rightful king. I am here. Jesus is stronger. And of course, Satan, like my little brother, would squirm and would try to make deals. I tricked you. I'm actually stronger. Let me have that one back. He's like that. And he's tried. We've already seen him tempt Jesus in the wilderness back in chapter 4. He's trying here. He's got his demons out doing their things. Satan's stirring up the Pharisees and the other leaders against Jesus. We'll see that more and more as we progress through the rest of Luke. He'll enter into Judas later on to betray Jesus. But at every point, the devil is completely outclassed. If it's a fight, it's a knockout. It's not close. There's no like, you know, the devil's this strong and Jesus, well, you know, he edged him out this time and we'll see what the next battle's like. No. Satan is crushed. His head is crushed as Jesus is crushed for us on the cross. That's from all the way back in Genesis 3. We have that first promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. We already referenced in Luke 10, just the last chapter in here, where Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Hebrews 2, where we read from earlier today, says that Jesus came and partook of the same things, flesh and blood with us, So that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We were slaves to sin and to Satan before, but not anymore, because we have been delivered by Jesus, who destroyed the works of the devil Through death. He did it through death. This is the other thing that makes it different from the, well, I'm just going to flex my, why do I even do that? Um, I'm just going to flex my muscles and show that I'm stronger than you. Jesus flexes his muscles by spreading out his hands and giving himself up for us. 
Colossians 2. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And what did he do? Colossians 2.15, he disarmed, sound familiar? The rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God disarmed the rulers and authorities. And this isn't talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. This is talking about rulers and authorities in heavenly places, in the spiritual realm. We know that from a text we'll look at a little later in Ephesians 6. In Jesus, God disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame. He triumphed over them in Christ on the cross. What looked like his defeat was his greatest victory. And before that moment, when Jesus was with his disciples, in John 12, Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He says, I'm throwing him out of the house. He's the strong man who feels secure in his house. It's like, hey, you're done. You can go away now. You can stop it. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This is what he came to do, and he accomplished what he came to do. Because he's stronger than the strong man. The kingdom of God has come in him. He defeated and disarmed the devil. And even now is dividing the spoil as he gathers more and more people into his kingdom. Jesus is the stronger man. He's the king. And he's delivered a people through his death. And he has destroyed the works of the devil and one day the devil will be completely destroyed. It's what he came to do, and he will do it. We read at the end that the devil and all his angels are cast into the lake of fire. No more to bother God's people. This is who Jesus is. He may not be the Jesus we're used to thinking about, but he's the one who comes conquering and to conquer. And he conquered through his own blood. And we, as his people, conquer through the blood of the Lamb. And so what about responding to Jesus then? It's like, okay, this is, sure, okay, this is who he is. How do we respond how do we get in on this? We're saying there's only two kingdoms. And we're either in it or we're not. We're either with him or we're not. How do we get in on this? Well, we get in on this by grace. None of us deserves to be in on this. We were all part of the devil's kingdom by birth. And not just by birth, but by our practice. 
Even if we grew up kind of having an idea of Jesus being the king, our hearts rebelled against him in a thousand ways. We deserve his righteous wrath. But we get in on this by grace through faith in Christ alone. This one who has disarmed the strong man has delivered us by his life, death, and resurrection. So how do we respond to Jesus? First, we must side with Jesus. We must side with Jesus. Jesus says in verse 23, you're either in or out. Whoever's not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. There's no middle ground with Jesus. Maybe you've been in church for a long time. You're like, you know, this is nice. This makes me feel good. I like being around uh, other people that generally have the same values I do. Uh, and this is, this is good for me socially. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad to be here with you guys. But I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm not quite in it like all the rest of you. Jesus would call you, Come. Come, give up on your own way. Your own way will not work. It might feel like it's working now, but it will not work. You will not be able to stand in the judgment when Jesus comes again. Because when he comes again, his conquering won't be through his death. It will be through his strength. And that, is a terrifying prospect for those outside of Christ. But you don't have to stay outside. You can side with Jesus today. Not because you finally made the right decision, because you recognize, yes, I've rebelled against his kingship. I realize there's, there's only two choices. I can't belong to one kingdom and the other at the same time. There's no third way. You must side with Jesus. And that happens by God's grace as a gift, but it happens as you realize your sinfulness. Yes, I have sinned against a holy God and I deserve His wrath. But then we recognize that God loved us, God loved you in such a way that he wasn't content just to destroy us, but he sent his son. He sent Jesus to live the perfect life that we were supposed to live, always submitting to God's rule. That Jesus always obeyed. He was truly God and truly man. And he lived on this earth in accordance with God's law, fulfilling the law for us. And then he died on the cross in our place, taking all our sins in his body on the tree. So that everyone who trusts in him, turning from their sins, will have life with him both now and forever. Because he didn't just stay dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead, showing his power over death 
and over the one who had the power of death forever. So that we could sing earlier today, oh death, where is your sting? Oh hell, where is your victory? It's gone. Because Jesus is the king. So there's no middle ground with Jesus. And these last few verses of our text help us understand that. We go, okay, I've got to side with him. But like, we really do. It's not even about having your life cleaned up. That's the point of verses 24 through 26. Jesus kind of tells this story, you know, right after saying, you're either with me or against me, whoever doesn't gather with me scatters. It says in verse 24, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, it passes through desert, dry places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So Jesus is saying it's, it's possible to have a demon cast out and think we can remain neutral. Right? It's like, I don't want that power in my life anymore. I want to be rid of it. And maybe somehow we actually are. But it's not just about being free from whatever demons plague us. It's about being with Christ. It's about belonging to Christ. It's about being part of His kingdom. And so verses 24 through 26, especially the way they follow verse 23, help us understand that there's no middle ground. There's no just like, well, I've gotten away from the devil, but I don't want to be all in with Jesus. I'll just, I mean, I like my kind of cleaned up life like this. Jesus says it's not going to end up like that. He says that the demon's going to come back and bring more. The idea of seven is fullness, completion. He's bringing a whole group it's a party next time, but it's not a party for the person they're working on. So we cannot stay neutral. There's no middle ground. You're either part of his kingdom or against his kingdom. You're either participating in his kingdom work or you're pushing against his kingdom work. When it comes to Jesus and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, there's no Switzerland right? Switzerland somehow always stays neutral. There's no Switzerland in the heavenly realms. You can't be there. It doesn't work. You will be drawn in. I mean, you think back to the world wars. They were the only ones that could, but so many people tried to, we're not going to be in this, right? And then were subjugated. It happened to most of Europe. They're not doing it to us. And all of a sudden, you're under their thumb. There's no middle ground. There's no Switzerland. You cannot remain neutral. You're either for Jesus or you are against him. And you want to be on his team. <laughs> you want to be part of his kingdom. So we must side with Jesus in a once-for-all way. And if you're here and you've never crossed over, you can cross over today by faith. 
You can trust him. He will receive you. And he won't chide you for all the years that you were working against his ways. He won't chide you even for all the years you sat in church listening to the gospel and not responding in faith. He's not like that. He says, come. And you'll find rest. You'll find life. So we must side with Jesus in a once-for-all way. But for those of us who say, well, I'm, I'm on Jesus' side, we must side with Jesus in an ongoing way, day by day. So we side with Jesus, but we also must submit to Jesus. As he's saying all these things, and he's so powerful, he's so wise, a woman in the crowd calls out, blessed is your mom, right? She had to be the best to raise someone like you. You are every parent's dream. Blessed be your mother. And Jesus doesn't say, no, my mom's not blessed. We know from earlier in Luke, his mom was greatly blessed by God's grace. But Jesus does offer a corrective. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is what it means to receive the kingdom. We don't just say with the crowds, wow, Jesus, you are amazing. No, we say Jesus is king. And if he is the king, we must treat him like a king. Not in the like, give him the royal treatment kind of way. Like, oh, he needs, he needs lots of nice things given to him. Let's, let's give him grapes. Who's the grape giver? Not like that. Rather, we obey his commands. If he's our king and we have pledged our loyalty to him, we are his glad subjects living under his rule. When he says, this is what I've called you to, and I'm speaking when he says that clearly from his word, we don't try to wriggle our way out of it. We don't try to figure out a way around We don't try to figure out how this certainly can't apply to me in my situation because it's different and you surely don't understand. When he's told us clearly, this is what I'm calling you to do as someone who belongs to me, we obey. So for those of us who say, yes, I'm siding with Jesus, in what ways Are we saying in our lives, Jesus, I'm so glad you're my Savior, but I need to be king in this area of my life. I'm so glad you died for all my sins, but I really need to hang on to this one because of the comfort that it brings me, because of the pleasure that it brings me, because of the power that it brings me, because it would just be too hard to fight against this. Jesus is our Savior, and He is our King. We must side with Jesus and His kingdom once for all and day by day. Because, yes, Satan is the strong man in this story, and Jesus is the one who's stronger and destroys His works and ultimately will destroy Him, and Satan is still active today. Right? We don't read this story and go like, oh, well, he, he cast him out. He destroyed him. Like, 
It's all over. Everything's fine. We, there is no real spirit realm even to worry about anymore. That would be a big mistake. <laughs> that is not what the New Testament teaches. That would be, to use a uh, fancy theology word, would be an over-realized eschatology. If you're like, I have no idea what that means, that is totally fine. <laughs> but in speaking of God's kingdom, and then it's already here in Jesus. We go, well, his kingdom's already here. And we're stressing the already of the kingdom, but not realizing that there's still a not yet. Now, I, I don't think any of you probably struggle with that particular problem because you live in the real world and you know that it's still hard. And you know that there must still be an enemy. And there is. He is still active today. And so in the New Testament, we're told to be sober and be watchful because he is after us like a predator. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We shouldn't be ignorant of his tactics. We want to know what he's up to and how he works. Because we must be prepared for his attacks and they will come. He hates that we have been plucked away from him. He hates Jesus for it and he hates us for it. The devil is mad. And he is, as the text tells us, strong. And as was already mentioned earlier today, he is on a leash. And this is a huge comfort to us because the battle is real and he really is after us. But for those who are in Christ, he can't finally harm us. Right? He's strong, but Jesus is stronger, right? Jesus says, no one can pluck you out of my hand. Then he says, no one can pluck you out of my Father's hand. And the devil can pull on those hands all day and all night forever. And he'll never even get a finger lifted. Again, this isn't like a struggle where it might take me a few seconds to get my son pinned. Right? Where it's like, oh, okay, that was a good one. Okay, but I'm still a little stronger. That's not how it works. The devil doesn't land blows on Jesus. He got to once, the heel was crushed. But that blow was the death blow for Satan. And yeah, he's still active. He's still mad. He hates that he's lost, but he has lost. And he will lose. And we can win against him in the fight against him because Jesus already has won and because Jesus will win. But, so it's like, okay, so it is won, right? But the Bible doesn't let us say, well, it's just automatic. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to fight. I don't have to be ready. The Bible doesn't let us say that. So the victory is as, as good as won if we're in Christ. But we still fight. We still need to be prepared. Ephesians 6, we're told to put on the whole armor of God, right? And so that's, that's cute. And a generation ago, I don't know if this 
generations kids do that. They used to make, you know, some, maybe you have that for your kids, right? So you have like the, the sword and the breastplate of righteousness and the, and the helmet and the, the shield and kind of the, and the leg, they always had the hardest time keeping the things on their legs, but that's, I, I remember, I don't remember if I had that. I definitely remember my little brother having that. You know, it's like, and, and it'd have like right on it all the different pieces. And so we'd get all into like the different pieces of the armor. And that's important. But what were they for? Was it so that we could have a cool like alternate Halloween costume thing? To be like, yes, we're trick-or-treating and we're Christians, right? Um, you know, if, if you're going as, you know, your kids are going as Anna and Elsa this week, that's, that's fine. I did think this was a good week to be praying for King of Peace Church in Salem, though. Did you do that on purpose, Richie? No? Just, okay. Yeah, that, you're like, oh yeah, totally, I've planned that. Um, put on the whole armor of God, not so that your kids can have a cute suit to wear, but that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul wrote that, as you well know, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, after the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. Okay, So it's texts like this that keep us from that over-realized eschatology that says, well, Jesus is the king, we're his people, everything's going to be fine. I don't need to do anything. We're called to fight. We are called to be prepared. Because we still wrestle, not against flesh and blood, it's not a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle against powers that are real, even down to today. Nothing in the big story of salvation, has changed since Paul was writing these words to the Ephesians. And he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. When we want to declare the gospel, Satan will be against us. And so we pray. And so we fight. And so we prepare. So, if you've been living like you're not in a battle, it's time to be convicted a little. Or maybe a lot. We think it's mainly about just keeping up with our schedules. It's time for us to stop and to realize we're in a war and we have an enemy and he's real and he's strong 
and in Christ as we take up the armor of God, as we pray, as we realize we're in a battle and are on the lookout for it, we can't lose. This is, this is great, right? I mean, could you imagine, like the Sixers, they feel pretty good about their season, right? They're really good. There's a whole lot of games. It's like pretty much they can't lose it as long as they actually show up against like over half the league. But could you imagine playing and knowing, okay, we still got to show up. We got to actually play. But if we... But if we play, if we realize there is a game going on and we play it, we're going to win. Like, how fun would that be? Right? A lot of people like the unpredictability of sports. I don't like that. I like to win. <laughs> I know none of you knew that before this moment. And those of you who know that the most about me, it's because you also, right? But that's our story. We get to win. Not because we're so talented, not because we're so tall, not because we're so strong, not because we have a killer crossover. <laughs> we get to win because Jesus went to the cross for us. He gave his life to make us his and to make it so that we will reign with him forever and ever, and ever. And if we realize we're in the fight, and fight in his power, we cannot lose. 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God, and have overcome them. That is the world. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Revelation so we could just like read a whole bunch of Revelation and be like, yes, yes, yes. So go home and do that. Revelation eleven fifteen says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. That is true. Those are God's words to us. This day will come. And so whatever fight we're facing today that feels insurmountable it's not doesn't mean that everything's going to get better right this minute everything's going to go our way but we cannot lose so let us side with Jesus let us submit to Jesus he is our king and he's the conquering king he is conquered by his blood and he will come again to gather all his people all those spoils home to be with him forever with no sorrow no sin no sickness no death when he completely destroys the one who has the power of death because Jesus is stronger let's pray oh God thank you that this is true that we don't fight wondering if we're going to make it because you have us and no one can take us out of your hand. God, would you assure us by your spirit 
of the truth of your word and the power of your son to save. Would you help us? Would you convict us where we need to be convicted and where we're just kind of floating through life? Perhaps with our own priorities rather than the priorities of your kingdom. As we're floating through life not recognizing that we are in a war and we have an enemy who would seek to destroy us. Would you open our spiritual eyes to see the battle that rages all around But would you help us never to be overwhelmed? Help us not to focus on Satan and his power. But to see Jesus, who has conquered and will conquer. And to cast ourselves again on you. And to live each day in the strength that you supply. Living for your glory, even while we wait for Jesus to come again. Oh, would you do this work in us? for your glory, for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.